Hey folks, you're listening to How to Win an Advocacy Campaign, where you'll get an insider's perspective that teaches you not only how to fight for what you believe in, but how to win. I'm Joe Fold. And I'm Martin Diego Garcia, and you can find us at CMPWRKSHP on Twitter or at the Campaign Workshop on Instagram. Welcome, and thanks for listening to episode four of How to Win an Advocacy Campaign. So in our last episode, if you missed it, we talked about messaging for advocacy with Joe's old boss, Rich Neimand, who does a great impression of Joe. Um, but he talked a little bit about- I do a great to- impression of Rich too, but we'll leave that for a different show. It, it's a show called Impressions of Our Old Bosses. Right. Um, so Rich touched on how to get buy-in, right? And who you need to bring in in order to all be on the same page when it comes to your messaging. How to begin setting up for your messaging and how to actually connect your messaging to your overarching goals in order to achieve the mission that your organization was set out to achieve. Yeah. So today we're talking about grassroots and grass tops advocacy and what it takes to plan and run an effective grassroots and grass tops advocacy program, no matter your budget. Yeah. And so as we think about grassroots advocacy and grass tops advocacy, I want to do a little definitions here for both. So we're all on the same page. When we talk about grassroots advocacy, we're really talking about individual community members, right? Everyday folks who are coming together in support or to take action on some cause or issue, right? So it is you, your family, your neighbors, your friends, right? Who are going out into the world and together backing a cause or or doing an action in favor or in, a, or in opposition to a particular cause, right? When we talk about grass tops advocacy, We're talking about folks who are probably already doing this type of work, right? These may be elected officials. They may be organizations or or heads of organizations. They have some already type of influence or already have a relationships with decision makers that you may be targeting in your advocacy work. So grassroots, everyday people, individuals working as a collective to take action, grass tops, probably folks who already have some level of influence in the advocacy space, um, on your cause or issue, who you are also trying to mobilize into action. Joe, can you talk to us a little bit about what do you think constitutes a good grassroots advocacy program? Well, when I like to think of grassroots, I like to think about real quantifiable actions. What are ways in which you could count and understand the ways in which people have engaged in a program to make a difference in their community? And often, like when I talk about this and teach on this, I talk about this as far as like local grassroots issues, like the idea of if you're trying to get a four-way stop sign put at your corner, what would be a quantifiable action that you would take? Well, many places you have to get the signatures of your neighbors to make that four-way stop happen. So you would go around and get them to sign and sign a petition that says, I want this four-way stop. If it's a bigger issue in your community, you should be doing the same thing, having a petition, getting names, getting neighbors and other community members on board and making that be quantifiable. If you have 10 people on your committee, it's like, okay, we're each going to get another 10 people to show up to the next Zoom meeting so that we now have 100 people. So it's really thinking about the quantifiable action. You want to find and recruit people where you need them. So it's not just about having a group of people in one part of town. It's having groups of people all over town or in specific districts of the 
city council people or legislators that you need them. So where people are matters, who they are matters. You know, you want to really think about who these people are connected to. Martine, you love to talk about power mapping. So the idea of like power mapping who the final legislator that you need to make this appeal to and who people are that are connected to them, you know, in some way also can matter. And that starts to get into the grass tops a little bit, but grassroots is just this broad array of people that you're able to connect with through quantifiable action. Definitely. And, and there are a lot of tools and tactics, whether it's power mapping, one-on-one conversations, right, ladders of engagement that we have accessible on our blog to that talk a little bit more about what those thing, pieces are. But the ultimate thing about grassroots is relationships, right? Relationships are key to all of this. And so in the grassroots space, literally anybody you meet, right, from a, from a PTA meeting to the grocery store, right, could be a potential grassroots advocate and could join your cause. So you always want to be ready um, as you're thinking about recruiting people, particularly in the targeted areas in which you need them. Yeah. And that transition from a grassroots to a grass tops person is the strength of that relationship. So it might be that through your door-to-door canvassing, right, you're trying to get that four-way stop. I'll keep going with this analogy. It just so happens that the person four doors down for you works for the city department of transportation. Now you have a grass tops person that may be able to help you work through this system. Another neighbor happens to know your city council person, who's the person who's going to be working on this issue. Those folks are grass tops contacts. And so thinking about how your grassroots really builds your grass tops, right? It's like your, you know, your Reese's peanut butter cup. It's your chocolate and your peanut butter, right? It's together. It is really important that you're like using the grassroots to build the grass tops. And then frankly, often what I like to do is empower my grassroots to like, even if they don't have a relationship with their legislator, who says they can't? Right. Picking up the phone and saying, hey, I'm a teacher in the area. You know, I'd really love to get on a Zoom call with you or have a socially distant cup of coffee with you about this education issue that I'm dealing with. And most of the time, legislators will say yes if you ask. Definitely. As folks are considering whether to pursue a grass top strategy versus a grassroots strategy or both, Can you talk a little bit about examples of campaigns or efforts in which one makes sense over the other uh, versus using both? Yeah, I mean, part of it becomes a resource question, really. I, I would argue, ideally, you want to do both, right? That, again, your grassroots likely becomes your grass tops that you want to try, especially when you're running legislative advocacy campaigns or city council advocacy campaigns or even congressional like advocacy campaigns. You want to really be thinking about how to build a public facing campaign around an issue. I think that matters more these days than ever before because there are so many different issues that legislators have to vie for. You want to show public pressure to get you higher up on the list to make people make a decision on something quickly. So that's why grassroots comes into play. Grass tops might be something that where the issue is so super wonky. If it's a change in a specific element of a tax code that deals with internet businesses, it's not likely that you're going to have a ton of 
grassroots support. Maybe, right? You might, but it might be that it is more grass tops to start and you can get specific people in specific districts who care about this issue more to engage. Yeah, it's definitely the inside outside game of how do you make sure that on the inside, whether it's actual legislators or electeds and their staff, right, um, on board with you to champion your, champion your issue from the inside, but you're also applying, right, like public opinion and public pressure from the outside so that these legislators know that the public is with them on this uh, particular issue or this cause. And so, Joe, as you, as organizations and folks are thinking about how to choose their targets for both grassroots and grass tops, what should they be thinking about? Well, like with any plan, you want to start with your goal. So really thinking about what is the legislative process that, let's say it's a piece of legislation that you're trying to move, what's the process that it's going to go through? It's likely to go through a committee vote process first, right? So who are the legislators on that committee that are going to be making the key assignments? You want to make sure you've organized people in their legislative districts. So whether that's grass tops, people that know those specific legislators, or grassroots, a broader appeal of people in those specific legislative districts, you probably want to first start with the committee that this piece of legislation goes to. And it might be that there are eight members on the committee, three of which you already have, three of which you know you're not going to get, and two of which are really the deciders. So you're going to spend more time on the two and then the three base members to make sure you have the five votes you need to get this out of committee. So that would be how I would start. Then as this potentially goes to a floor vote, you're having a more and larger public facing campaign that gets other legislators involved. But Part of this is that legislative campaigns in general are like cheaper than doing a statewide ballot measure because you're talking to a much more limited group of people to pass a piece of legislation versus bringing it to the general public. Definitely. And this is where that tool of power mapping comes in super handy. It's a it's a tool that allows you to visually see, right, sort of where are folks in terms of support or opposition to you, right? As Joe mentioned, you have three that are with you, three that are against you, and two sort of who who you potentially may be able to persuade to your side. And, and based on that, you want as much information about those two legislators as possible, right? Like, who are their donors? What relationships do they have? Who have they been endorsed by, right? Where do they live, right? And how do you get to go to the grassroots place, right? How do you get constituencies from those particular groups and organizations to lobby those folks on your behalf? Right. It goes even deeper, right? Like, where do they go to church? Where do they put their dry cleaning in? What bakery do they go to? Where do they get their cup of coffee? All of those things and knowing that so that, I mean, we have moved pieces of legislation because someone at their local coffee shop says, hey, I care about this and this is important. So doing that kind of organizing can really make a difference. Absolutely. And, and know that this advocacy work and these targetings in terms of grassroots and grass tops, we are using legislative campaigns as the example here, but these could be used for boards and commissions. These can be used for corporate corporations, right? So wherever there is a deciding decision maker at a decision table, right, you can utilize these strategies, these tools, these tactics to help move those folks to take the action you were hoping they take. Um, the example of legislation and voting is just a very clear black and white example of they're going to vote for you or they're, they're going to vote with you or they're going to vote against you. But boards and commissions, appointed elected officials, corporations, <laughs> those are all great places and important to utilize these tools as well, as you said, Martine, for sure. 
We're really excited to hear from Christopher Coes uh, on what it actually takes to create a good grassroots grass tops program. And Joe's going to be doing a great interview with him coming up here in a minute. Uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back. This week, we're joined by Christopher Coase, the Vice President of Land Use and Development at Smart Growth America, an organization that empowers communities with technical assistance, advocacy, and thought leadership to create livable spaces, healthy people, and shared prosperity. Christopher has led Smart Growth America's national and regional public policy and advocacy efforts to tackle the smart growth real estate industry's most pressing challenges. Prior to joining Smart Growth America, Christopher was a government affairs and campaigns consultant at MNR Strategies, deputy director and senior campaign advisor at Transportation for America, and a research analyst at the DCCC. Christopher, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. I mean, we've been lucky enough to work with Christopher um, on our advocacy campaign training work. And Christopher really talked to our students about the need for grass tops and grassroots advocacy. So give me, just for folks that are thinking about a grass tops or grassroots uh, campaign, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see or, or the biggest barriers that you see to really launching that real grass tops or grassroots campaign? One of the misconceptions um, I think that's out there is around grassroots and grass tops. Um, you know, traditionally, when you think about grassroots, right, it's the regular Joe Smo, Mary Jane, who's walking down the street, who's in a specific member of Congress or state legislature or city council member's district or boundary, um, that you go have a direct you know, uh, conversation with to say, hey, there's an issue that's important. Can you reach out to your member of Congress? And they say, sure, I'll may sign on to a letter or I'll respond to an email that'll send a direct letter. So that's generally grassroots. And grass tops, right, would be uh, people say, hey, I do grassroots grass tops advocacy. I'm only looking at the C people who are my member really care about, you know, the CEOs of business or the heads of an environmental organization or uh, the local church minister, right? Leaders in the community, people that the, the, the target, whether it's the legislature, a city council member or governor would naturally say, yes, uh, I value their opinion. And one of the things I've learned uh, through my work, uh, both from the political uh, campaign world, in the consultant space, advising nonprofits, and now working on grassroots and grasshouse advocacy, you have to do both. Uh, you need people who are on the ground, who are to live experience, because that's the only way you can demonstrate to a member of Congress that his constituents care about it. But at the same time, you need experts in the field. Let's say, I want the head of the medical department. Uh, talking about healthcare policy and talk about the intricacies of that. Um, I think that's a misconception that you have to have one or the other. The most successful organizations and advocacy campaigns are those that integrate them. And so, Christopher, just to follow up on that, how do you find those people? Oh, that is a great question. Um, so let's start with grassroots. Um, grassroots in many ways, uh, could do, you could do a number of things. You could do a petition campaign where you have volunteers going door to door, uh, advocating. You can actually, another way you can do it, you could do sign on letters, right? Um, partnering with other groups that are aligned with you to say, Hey, your members may be interested in my issues in those places. 
Um, that's one way of getting grassroots. Um, oftentimes you see that, like I said, leather camp, uh, letter campaigns, knocking on doors, canvassing, phone banking. Um, you know, one of the natural ways we tell people, uh, if you're starting from the beginning, get the voter rolls, right? Because you begin to align your policy issues with what, how people might be voting or which party or primaries that they're engaging in. So those are some examples of how to get to uh, grassroots specifically. Um, for grass tops, it's really fascinating because when, I, when people ask me how to get grass tops, well, anyone could be a grass tops. The question is, who's your target? Um, does your target consider you a leader? or someone who he or she values in terms of your information, your expertise, or political influence. Um, one of the examples I'll give as, in my role, I serve as executive director uh, of a group called LOCUS. It's a Latin for place. It's a network of uh, social impactful developers and investors. And the premise of organizing them was that, you know, developers, investors generally deal with local issues. So they're always talking to your city council members. You know, they get blamed for funding mayoral races, right? But transportation policy and healthcare issues are oftentimes federal. So developers don't normally, who are doing this work on the local level, don't normally have an ask uh, at the federal level, besides like major tax credits. But your everyday developer doesn't. What we found, uh, which was the emphasis of creating a locus, was that Sometimes that mayor, that city council member, he or she becomes a member of Congress, becomes a senator, sometimes becomes chair of a tax committee. And you find out I had a situation in, uh, early on where one of my members built the condo where uh, one of my developers built the condo where a very powerful senator lived in. That's grass hops, <laughs> right? Or the inverse, oh, this person's child go to my school and we're on the PT, uh, PTA uh, board together, right? So the question really is identify your target and draw a circle of influence. Who's that person listening to? Who's their kitchen cabinet? And it may not be people who are in your space. And you just got to be open uh, to engaging those spaces uh, to get them activated. I believe full-heartedly, uh, based on my live experience, that we can't solve some of the greatest existential challenges of our time, whether it's racial injustice, climate change, our public health, and economic prosperity, unless there's a partnership between citizens, their government, and the private sector. And I've been trying my entire career to build that bridge. And what I find a lot uh, in a lot of work I've done at Smart Group America is creating tables for the private sector to be a part, to be advocates. And people would say, what do you mean? I'm like, corporate advocacy is a thing. Um, you know, sometimes you'll see, you know, Nike or some of these other brand-sensitive uh, companies say, oh, we're Black Lives Matter, or we're pro-environment, or we're pro-climate change, right? So I think really getting the private sector realized that they could be corporate advocates as well. And I think that's where a lot of these synergies in the work that Smart Group America and the movement has been really successful at. And, you know, the last misconception, um, uh, that I would put on the table uh, that I see a lot. People forget that it's a numbers game sometimes, right? You go to Capitol Hill and, you know, people get caught up in the theatrics of it all. They say, oh, the Democrats, they're over here. Republicans, they're over there. And they'll never be for my issue. And I'll tell you, one of the things that the lessons you learn in politics, particularly from the political campaign side, 
you don't care about where you are in the spectrum. You want to know, can you get 50 plus one on <laughs> election day or when the vote comes? Because at the end of the day, this is all about a conversation. Can you get your policy issue across the finish line? I know many, many Senate Republicans who support smart growth. They'll never say it in front of a camera, but behind closed doors, they will say, I'm totally fine with that policy because you know what? I had someone from the local chamber or from my community who told me it's a good thing. And at the end of the day, knowing that key thing is that, okay, we don't have to attack him, but we'll give him everything he needs behind the scenes so he can be most effective. And I think at that point, that's why people call me the general in my organization. I was like, I'm not worried about the battle. I'm trying to win a war. So that's, those are some of my, I think, misconceptions or things that the uh, nonprofits and those who are in the advocacy campaign space uh, tend to uh, miss. So it used to be to kind of get that done or get a vote to happen that you would just hire a lobbyist. The lobbyist would talk to the elected officials. There wouldn't be this sort of public facing public outreach. Tell us why that change has happened and why that change is important. Listen, um, one of the things that uh, has happened, uh, one, the polarization of our country has definitely taken the air out of the trade association model, right? Get someone who claim, you know, who's representing and go and lobby and go and meet with a member. Because if, as, a, as someone who used to work for a congressional staffer as an intern, one of the things you realize is that, okay, a lobbyist will come in, even an environmentalist or a pro-housing advocate, uh, you name your issue, they'll come in and say, Hi, I'm with Organization X. Here's the policy issue that we're talking about. We want you to support it. And by the way, we represent this folks. Okay. And maybe I'll go do a campaign contribution. Like one of the biggest challenges now in this more polarized uh, environment we're in, I go back to the member. I said, yes, this group came in and the member is going to ask me one, the most important and basic question. So what did our folks back home think? Sometimes, Lobbyists don't, a lot of lobbyists don't read that information. Well, why should I care? Why, what's the impact on my district? I know why your industry care. But then one of the things I think this is where grassroots and grass tops is so critical. And align that with the uh, general government affairs lobbying work is that be able to tell the story, connect the policy. Because sometimes DC gets caught in, or even state capitals, even at the local, at the local level, elected officials get caught in the policy but don't see the person. And to be most effective to change public policy from an advocacy campaign standpoint, you have to connect the thing that you're advocating for to that individual. So you talked about a few different things in that answer that I want to unpack a little bit. Um, Part of what you talked about was sort of coalition partners, getting people from the district to engage with the legislator, Talk to us a little bit about how you think about those audiences and how you build that sort of grassroots and grass tops coalition so it embodies the right people that will, frankly, move the legislator. Yeah. Uh, as I said before, count the numbers, right? 50 plus one, whatever your vote count is. Um, and that can vary depending on what level of government that you're going to look at. Then after you've done that, ask yourselves, OK, who is for me. Okay. That's your block. That's based on their voting record, based on the comments and the like. And now that may mean you mean soft touches with them. Who are your persuadables? Who are in the middle? Now that's going to be an interesting situation. And who's your opposed to you? That's an interesting situation because you should do an analysis, uh, power mapping, 
find out who, where, what they've done, and begin to systematically create a process of engaging them. For example, one of the things that we learned when I was at Shrimp Center for America early on was that we had a number of uh, Republicans who were not pro-environmentalists. No, uh, they weren't pro-public transportation. No, but increasingly because healthcare was a big issue during the 2008, uh, 2000, um, during the 2008 campaign, which then 2009 and 2010, we found that a lot of Republicans were totally about healthcare. Well, turns out we started realizing their wives or uh, their, some of their shared colleagues, people they went to school with, um, were heads of health departments in their community or they had a relationship with them. So we actually started organizing healthcare departments and health, health advocates for, to go into those persuadable offices. So we didn't go in with our, with our traditional boilerplate talking point. We actually created a health framing for those members. So what you realize is that you have to be very targeted. So it's not just one thing to have a million people just flooding people uh, email boxes, because that's important sometimes. But if you want to really persuade a member, you have to figure out who's most influential, who's the best messenger, when is the best time to bring that message to the conversation, and what are the talking points you should have that messenger give, and most importantly, as a grassroots or even a grass tops, does that, gra- that messenger really care about your issue? And so if you take that process, you begin to realize that you can get a lot more movement and get a lot more people, whether at the Capitol Hill, local government, state government, to be on your side. So talk to us a little bit about how grassroots mobilization and grass tops tactics are changing, especially now during COVID-19. Yeah, well, first and foremost, I think it's, it has to be stated, um, advocates had to do some self-reflection. We are now, the world has changed or the world has, was changing and people of all stripes are realizing that we and of ourselves, whether it's traditional organizations that have been great leaders on issues or whether it's public health, transportation and the like, are not the best representation of it. And they have to look interested like, who are we putting in front? Who are our lobbyists? Who are our advocates? Who are our grassroots? Who's our grasshoppers visually? So I think one of the big uh, things that people need to do now is ask themselves, are we the most representative of the issue that we have? Are we inclusive? Have we, are we diverse? Do we have a racial injustice problem? Do we have a class problem? Um, and that requires some introspection. So that's number one. Number two, I think one of the things we're finding is uh, prioritization of resources um, and gaining uh, attention. Um, you find now uh, a lot of groups are saying, no one's talking about my issue and no one cares about my issue. And I was like, that's true. No one cares about your issue. If you're not bringing food on the table, if you're not helping someone save a job, nine out of 10, your issue is not going to be the most important thing. And it's going to be hard to get a member to be uh, attentive to that issue. But this is also an opportunity because what you learn in those environments is how can I develop relationships and allyships for those who are doing things that's most important for the moment. Because like, for instance, for Smart Group America, we find that, yes, we should be getting engaged in the anti-eviction space, even though that's not our bread and butter every day. But we realize we want renters to be closer to their jobs. And we know when an economy goes uh, through a recession, they're going to be on the front lines. So how can we be supportive of other organizations? Because those organizations are going to remember who had their backs. And they will have your backs. And I think finally, 
Um, the last thing I will say is uh, things that we're learning now in this day and age of COVID is that the traditional way of doing things is out the window. And that's a good thing. Technology is playing a huge role. I mean, I don't know how many times I'm able to do uh, Zoom calls with a member of Congress and have 10 or 5 people from their districts on them. Oh, my gosh. They, it's instant. They're like, okay, we don't have to talk to any Like, Christopher, you've proven um, you're a credible expert. You, you've shown me to people. I have the relationships. Let's talk about the policy, right? Also, you find out now um, social media has actually elevated this conversation of engaging the grasshops and grassroots in ways you haven't done before. Uh, people are having dance parties. People are having Zoom watch parties, right? Um, people, I, I remember a couple of years ago, Smart Group America did this picture contest. You know, no one wanted to talk about sidewalks or, you know, bike lanes. Well, guess what? We were like, show us the most beautiful street in your neighborhood that you remember. And people would show like these beautiful cheapskates. And yeah, they may have sidewalks on the side, but it really showed the experience. What I'm telling, what I'm trying to illustrate here is now's the time to do an assessment. If you were a traditional in-person, you know, we have to go to you directly, you know, that may not work. But how can you use technology, low-cost te- tactics, to really get even more bang out of the bug, especially in a cash constraint um, time that we're in. So if you're just starting out with grassroots and grass tops and you're working with a limited budget, what are some of the tactics that you would recommend that folks start with? Well, the first thing I would tell you is maintain the list. Have a good database. Um, Now, I would say, you know, Traditionally, someone would say Excel. Okay, that's cheap. But there are tons of other products out there because what I find too often to have an effective grassroots grass size, it means you have to have a good database of maintaining context, um, recording the relationship development, whether it's phone calls and emails of that nature. So that's number one. Um, number two, partnership, partnership, partnerships. Uh, especially now when you're starting out and you have so limited resources, join other coalitions because that's another way to get, get greater access to grassroots and grasshops, whether it's through email, sharing, um, share social media campaigns and the like. Um, and then lastly, I, I think this is really kind of a, a framework. Just continue to think outside the box. Um, every now and then um, it does require uh, a staffer, um, a pay staffer to do something. You might actually find that other individuals, whether you're in the healthcare space, you may have nurses who are really passionate and they will actually dial full dollars for you. So volunteers. So a lot of times think outside the box, use the resources you have and really empower other people to bring resources to the table that you otherwise may not be able to uh, generate on your own. Well, I mean, Christopher, thanks so much for the time. It's so great chatting with you about this. Um, if folks want to get a hold of you, they can reach out to smartgrowthamerica.org and get you there. Absolutely. Yeah, Christopher Coates, you've been a great guest. Uh, we look forward to staying in touch. Joe, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you.
And we're back. Um, always good listening to Chris. I always learn something new every time he talks. He's one of the trainers um, for our advocacy training that we put on. But wanted to highlight a couple of things that Chris mentioned that I think are super important. And the first one is metrics, right? And how important they are to help set and monitor target numbers for your contacts, right? And that could be any anything from volunteer signups to commitments to take actions. You could do pledge cards, whether by mail or digital, right? Counting of votes, right? How many legislators are with you or against you, right? So making sure that there is some way to determine metrics for your campaign. Like the second one is doubling down on commitment, right? And so having folks sign letters to the editor or, or figuring out how to do op-eds in your local or state uh, press, right? And figuring out who are the best folks to do that to really solidif- solidifies by vesting. Um, keep grassroots engaged uh, and add an element of a personal touch to that relationship. Again, relationships are really key here. So the more that you can get these grass tops, who I would imagine are doing a million and one things, right, outside of their their personal lives, right? How do you create that real personal touch of why are they really involved in this particular action or cause? And continuing to remind them of that um, as you have asks for them to continue to be engaged. I will tell you that that, like, ask for engagement thinking about the getting people to fly in, meet legislators, meet them where they are, or do Zoom calls, right? Um, you want to make sure you're doing as much person-to-person engagement as you can around this. That, to me, is where it's really important. You know, we also, even when you can't meet people in person, making sure that you're doing things like recording conversations, sending those things to them, creating quotes, sending that information to people, making sure that folks know there's real support behind an issue totally matters. Definitely right. And it helps. I mean, even though we didn't, we cannot do in-person, right, like events to events, you can still do one-on-one, right? You can still do individual phone calls. You can still do individual Zoom meetings, right? And and when you can do that and really give a, a person a personal connection to the, to the efforts that you're making, then you get those 10 plus people, right, from that elected specific district um, or the, or influencers of that particular board member, right, um, into a meeting face-to-face with them um, in order for them to do that. Yeah, I mean, old school tools like patch through calling, right, really matter where you're getting members to patch through to a legislative office. That can make a difference. I I just think it is trying to make sure folks know there really is real support on the ground. What you mentioned about being local, right? I mean, yes, if you're working on the federal level, D.C. is probably important to your campaign. But if you're working on the local level, it's not, right? You have to think about where is the press, whether it's traditional media or it's blogs, right? Or it's an influencer on Twitter, right? Like who are the folks in which you need to connect with to amplify your message around your local issues? Um, one of the ways of doing that is, is, is making sure that your member or supporter contacts are up to date, right? And how do you make those folks work for you, whether it's as Joe mentioned, doing phone banks or patch through calls, having them write letters to their neighbors or letters to the decision maker you were trying to, to uh, get to move on your action. Um, so think about that because perception can very much be reality, right? Once we think something is true, it is going to be true to us whether the facts support it or not, right? And so the more that you get 
local support and you show that there is buzz around your issue, it can really maximize impressions and the breadth of, of the impact that you're making, even though it may be a pretty small impact. If everybody in their own neighborhood is seeing it, uh, it may seem much larger than it actually is. Martin, one of the things that I think you talked about, which is really important, is this idea of member contacts. You want to make sure that you're updating your member contacts all the time. If you just all of a sudden have an advocacy campaign pop up and you've got to reach your members, if the contact info isn't up to date, if you're not ready to go, you're going to be in real trouble. So this is something where the resources of your organization need to be set over the long term so that you're ready to do this kind of engagement. And that will help you when you need specific target audiences in districts, right? Making sure you have membership in districts and you have the phone numbers of them, making sure you have allies in these districts and you have the phone numbers of them. I think I'm spouting a trend here. You want to make sure you have contact information for the people you need in specific areas and you have it way ahead of time. If you feel like you know, you don't have enough supporters to your cause, then you need to go out and get them. You doing things like running a petition campaign or doing um, organization with other groups and, you know, other communities, that just takes time. This is why you need to plan and have that goal way ahead of time before session starts. Yeah, switching gears a little bit to messaging here, Joe, can you talk a little bit about how or where would your message change between talking to your grassroots folks versus talking to your grass tops folks? Well, I think your grass tops have probably a greater understanding of the issue we would hope than your grassroots, though sometimes maybe not, and maybe sometimes not to the degree that you want them to. So what when you're talking to grassroots, it's probably even more about impact, right? I'm sorry, grass tops, it's even more about impact. Grassroots, it's like a broader message of the issue. Grass tops, it might be specific impact to that constituency where it matters, right? So let's say you work for an organization around nurses, right? And you're talking about um, COVID response and funding for nursing and funding for PPE and things like that. To the general public, it needs maybe we need to support our first responders. To nurses themselves, it's like, hey, we have had X number of people in the nursing profession who have died because they have not had PPE, right? I am a nurse. This is important. I have seen my coworkers get sick and not be able to go to work and using that personal story and those specifics to really engage. So that's how the message may change a little bit. Definitely. And figuring out ways of which how to connect with those folks, right? How do you make sure that you know as much as possible about your targets, right? Who are your decision-making targets, but also your influencers, right? Who are those grass tops folks that you, again, want to make sure you understand the relationship you have with them and build a deeper one by knowing, right, like what neighborhood do they live in, right? Like where do they, what other boards and organizations do they serve on, right? And and so that way you're connecting your issue to what is personal to them to hope that they always say yes when you have an ask for them. Right. And, and in that ask, make sure you're being very specific about what you want them to do. The biggest mistakes that I've seen people make around these advocacy campaigns is not telling their grassroots and not telling their grass tops exactly what you want them to do. 
Don't make the assumption that all of a sudden that they know that they should be doing a patch through call to their legislator, that they should be asking their legislator for a cup of coffee, that they should be signing an online petition. Tell them, here are the things we want you to do. Create what we call an advocacy funnel that you move people through the easiest action to the hardest action and get people more and more involved so that someone who comes in in your grassroots funnel becomes a grass tops activist. Definitely. Definitely. And so um, remember, right, relationships are key. Track them, um, be specific with them, um, and continue to build them as you continue to do your advocacy outreach, both on the grassroots and the grass tops. But that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you have specific questions or comments about grassroots or grass tops, feel free to contact us using our social media or email address that are in the description. On our next episode, we'll be discussing storytelling with Grace Martinez Rosa. So if you want to learn how to harness the power of a good story to captivate your audience and grow your movement, make sure to tune in next week. Definitely. Grace is amazing. Uh, But until next time, this is Martin Diego Garcia. And Joe Fold breaking down how to win an advocacy campaign. How to win an advocacy campaign is Joe Fold, Martin Diego Garcia, Hope Rohrbach, Daniel Lamb, Heidi Job, and Elena Veach. Music by Mike Pinto. Sound editing by the Global Startup Movement. Special thanks to the team at the Campaign Workshop. Remember to review, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.